Light 1.0, Chapter 13, Superstition There are numerous theories about the fear of number 13. The ancient Norse believed that 13 came to signify bad luck after their twelve venerated demigods were joined by a thirteenth evil demigod, Loki, who was known for terrorizing and harming humans. Loki appeared uninvited to a party for twelve at Valhalla, the banquet hall of the chief god Odan and his warriors. At the party, Baldur, the god of light, joy, and reconciliation, died when the evil demigod Loki tricked Baldur's brother Hode into throwing a sprig of mistletoe at Baldur's chest. Mistletoe was fatal to Baldur, and it killed him. Another Norse tale explains the origin of the Friday the 13th superstition. According to this story, when the Norsemen and Germanic tribes became Christians, the Norse goddess Freya was banished to the mountains as a witch. Friday became known as Witch's Sabbath because it was believed that twelve witches, including Freya, and the devil, the thirteenth evil spirit, met on that day. Other origins vary by culture and religion. One theory is that the fear of Friday the 13th comes to us from early Christianity, based on the fact that there were thirteen people at Christ's Last Supper before his captivity, the thirteenth guest at the table being the traitor Judas. In this account, the notion of Friday the 13th being considered a dangerous day originates from the fact that Christ was subsequently crucified on a Friday. Others theorize that the superstition of Friday the 13th arose when Eve tempted Adam with the apple on a Friday. The flood in the Bible and the confusion at the Tower of Babel occurred on Fridays too. Thus, all of these occurrences were eventually linked with the idea of superstition. Yet most often, religion itself has relegated superstitions to the realm of paganism and pre-science. These religious teachings contend that superstitions are holdovers from uncivilized and pre-religious times, when the sciences were not available to explain natural phenomena. In a pre-religious era, pagan people set aside Fridays as a special time to worship their deities and pray for good health, happiness, and plentiful crops. Anyone who worked on Friday was advised to expect bad luck. People have been fearful of the number 13 and Friday the 13th for thousands of years. A more contemporary, relatively speaking, hypothesis comes down from the Middle Ages. Friday, October the 13th, in the year 1307, to be specific. On that date, the Pope of the Church of Rome, acting as a secret agent for the King of France, Philip IV, carried out an undercover death warrant against the King's famous white-robed competitors, the Knights of Templar. For more than 200 years, the Knights' role had been to ensure the safety of Europeans 
making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem after the conquest of that city in the First Crusade. But the king of France envied and abhorred his competitors, the respected knights. Pope Clement V terminated many of the knights as heretics for his king, and they never again held the power that they had held for two centuries. A student of leadership history might theorize that the king and pope, rather than originating the Friday the 13th superstition, may have known to use it in order to make a more emphatic statement. One cannot help but wonder how often throughout history leaders evoking the power and tools of propaganda, specifically fear and superstition, may have made use of Friday the 13th to persuade their subjects, while simultaneously condescending to their subject's so-called primitive, superstitious natures. Is it superstition practice if we act without knowing it is a superstition rite in which we are engaged? Who knew that the tradition of blowing out lighted candles on a birthday cake and making wishes for the birthday person is actually a superstition stemming from the ancient Greeks. They believed that bad spirits were attracted to all celebrations and developed this superstition ritual to fend off evil spirit party crashers. According to today's psychologists, superstitions arise when people feel vulnerable and insecure and when they believe that their good fortune depends on external circumstances. In these moments of vulnerability, we are more likely to react to the number 13, avoid it, fear it, walk around the ladder and the black cat, and stay at home on a Friday the 13th. I suppose this means that for those who truly believe they are in control of their lives and universe, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For those who subscribe to the belief that all their successes are a result of their own hard work and determination, superstition is never a problem. But those other tens of billions of us who do feel vulnerable and insecure from time to time, who have had to admit that our good fortune is often the result of a favor, random chance, luck, or the kindness of a stranger. In other words, external circumstances beyond our control. We may be destined to lives in which superstition continues to play a role. According to today's psychologists, when the fear of the number 13 or Friday, or a black cat, or a crack in the sidewalk, moves beyond causing us a laugh with perhaps a little twinge of anxiety, to actually altering our life, then we have moved from superstition to phobia, an exaggerated anxiety. And we probably should seek help. Of course, psychoanalysis wouldn't have done a darn thing for the poor Knights of Templar or for my beloved cat Josephine, who died at the age of 13, followed by the death of her sister, my beloved cat Emily, 
also thirteen, while I was writing this chapter about thirteen and superstition, leaving me with what I can only anticipate will be a lifetime little doubt about the myth of superstitions surrounding the number thirteen. Superstition may sometimes be a healthy way to cope with the stresses of life and our vulnerability. Considering those pre-religion pagans who believed it was bad luck to work on Friday, for instance, could they have been practicing an early form of medicine with their don't-work-on-Friday superstition? Perhaps those who worked seven days a week died early of stress and overwork, and thus the superstition was born as a pre-medicinal method for keeping people healthy. Could superstitions have played a role in maintaining the health of people and societies, much like some of the early religious food rules did? Don't mix milk and meat turned out to be, for instance, a pre-refrigeration spoilage-preventing decree. A baseball pitcher thumbs the brim of his cap four times, looks right and left, kicks the dirt two times, and closes his eyes for exactly three seconds before sending the ball spinning toward home plate. We laugh at his superstitious ritual, but the pitcher calms himself and builds self-confidence with the right, prepares himself for the pitch, and if the ball goes outside, he can blame it on the wind out of his control and go on to pitch a strike the next time. Or he can decide to change his routine from three dirt kicks to four. No laughing matter this manifestation of superstition. It comforts and gives the pitcher the confidence achieved from a sense of personal control over his life and actions. And most certainly the team manager would pull the pitcher from the mound long before his pre-pitch superstition routine reached the phobic status that troubles psychologists. When superstitious people take greater precautions on Friday the 13th, society surely benefits with fewer mishaps and tragedies. Based on this theory of superstition as a motivation and success tool, I began to generate a superstition do's and don'ts list. The pitcher's routine is a good one in that each step of it is within his personal control. Kicking the ground, rubbing his cap, and so forth. A rabbit's foot is not a good idea because one runs the risk of misplacing or forgetting to bring it. A routine that is too lengthy is likely to cause problems if the action it proceeds needs to occur in a particular time frame. Whoops, I didn't catch the ball. I was too busy kicking the dirt and tapping my knees and looking right to left and pulling on my cap. When making use of a superstition ritual to comfort oneself in a time of stress, one that causes bodily harm or discomfort is certainly not advised. A clear-cut, don't list superstition. Positive, solution-based rituals are best, since they force us to transcend that stuck-in-the-helpless moment. As the child of addicts, I became quite expert at devising superstition comfort rituals, though, of course, I did not realize that they had a name at the time. 
comfort food was not an option for Sissy and me, since there was seldom much food in the house, due to most the grocery money being spent on drugs and alcohol by our parents. As the older sister, I naturally fell into the role of comforter and developed an ability to devise both ritual traditions and ones for on-the-spot emergency needs.